Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. We both have a lot going on, right? A lot yeah. personally, uh, a lot going on in the world. Yeah, Are I don't you... know that that's going to slow down for us. Life doesn't seem to <laughs> wait for us to catch up. It just kind of goes, uh, come on, you got to live it. <laughs> you got decisions. All, I, all, all eyes are on Florida right now with a hurricane. Yeah, I've got relatives I mean, who live there and hoping they're okay. But... So we record these podcasts on Thursday, I mean, on Wednesday morning. Yeah. And um, I've, really been, I've really been eager to talk to you because you're taking the lead in teaching Sunday. Mm. And um, there are a couple of things that I've just sort of boiling to the surface. Um, I'm reading She by Robert Johnson. I'm mm-hmm. seeing that Italy has elected a fascist female dictator. It looks and like I was I was looking to the woman hero to come in and save us, not to get us in worse trouble. Mm. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm having this big grief because in addition to reading she, which I found useful, but I think to me it resonates with parts of the heroine journey, not the whole of it. Right. Um, it's not his, it's not Robert's best book. Uh, he's there's limitations. And I just uh, think that's, there's limitations. And I just think that needs yeah. to be spoken, right? He's a, he's a guy. Yeah. He's like, I really want this. I really want this she, he energy in me. And I bet he probably did have much of it, but there's a limitation yeah. just as there's a limitation in me fully understanding what it means to embody the masculine. However, I think our culture has so trained us all to embody the masculine, specifically the sort of patriarchal toxic masculine that it's easier for me to do than it is for you. And therefore, meaning easier for me to embody the masculine than it is for you to embody the feminine. And both of us are figuring out how to get back to the feminine, but the call in me is more instinctual. The call Mm -hmm. in me who identifies as female and a pretty Mm -hmm. feminine female, that, that, that call back to it is instinctual. Whereas for you, it may be kind of like something's missing, but I can't quite name it because this is not the way that my, I've been trained up, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it like you, me, but male, female, we each identify as our Mm -hmm. biological gender. So it, there's Mm -hmm. some. I don't know. Anyway, I'm also reading this book called The Heroine's Journey by Maureen Murdoch. And she was, a, as I understand it, a student of Joseph Campbell's. And much like Carol Gilligan with Lawrence Kohlberg, she kind of took Campbell's work and said, wait a minute, this is a good piece of work. We need a feminine model. And we can't just say that the feminine needs to fit inside this model. The feminine journey is different and it has other Mm -hmm. things that are needed and other pieces that are needed. We need to like re-know ourselves um, Mm -hmm. in a feminine way. Um, So I'm sort of distressed right now because the truth is for 
hundreds of years and that's being generous. We don't have a model for what a balanced social order looks like. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I thought, pardon me, I thought you were going to be the heroine and swoop in and save us. <laughs> Hold on, let me go get my outfit. <laughs> your cape, get your cape. No, no, not the cape. Hey, get stuck in the jet stream. That's. <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me when I was in graduate school, uh-huh. <clears throat> but living, living in Houston, working furiously on my dissertation, which, by the way, you just turned yours in. Well, it's like phase one turn in. I turned in my final, my most final draft to my advisor who has to go through that sort of first round of editing, give it back to me. Then I'll disseminate, make the corrections, make whatever needs to be done and disseminate it to my committee. So major, major transition, major point. It's a hard, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I I remember I was furiously doing that working in my study and I looked up out the window of my study and my son, who must have been six or seven, Uh had tied a Superman's cape onto himself, climbed a tree gotten onto the roof of our garage and was holding his arms out like Superman preparing to jump. Woo! How'd that work out? (laughs) I ran out there and got him just in the nick of time. Huh. And was he in tears? Did he say, but daddy, I wanted to fly. (laughs) Um. I think he thought there was magic in that cape. I mean, we've been led to believe so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we it, what as um, a woman mm-hmm. who is well read and a woman of great integrity. What do, you, what do you personally think when you see what's going on in Italy, what's going on with the Supreme Court, what's going on with some of the female elected officials in this country? Mm-hmm. And the, the, it seems a sharp veering, even on the part of women, to the right. Mm. Well, I think there's two things going on, because I don't want to ignore um, what one of my favorite poems says, which is there's a second music playing. There's a second what? A second music playing, a second melody. Okay. Um, okay. But to d- address the first melody, which is um, this overt participation in the systems that we've got, right? Every single wave of feminism, we're somewhere teetering between the fourth and the fifth. Some say we're in the fifth wave. Some say we're not yet in the fifth wave. The first wave is identified with the suffragists. Um, white suffragists, I should say, who sought the vote for white women because they couldn't stand that black men were getting the vote before them. Mm-hmm. It was not inclusive inclusive of black women getting the vote. So waves of feminism in this country have been about women getting the same rights as, as white men. So participating in the structures that are created by white men. 
Um, mm-hmm. Voting was huge. We, we needed the right to vote. We also must say that it was not done inclusively. So both can be true. It was very important that white women get the right to vote. It was a huge oversight and real loss of, of potential to not include black women in the suffragist movement, right? We missed an opportunity there that, that yeah. has broken. So every single wave of feminism has been about women participating in the systems as they are to be able to have a voice equal to men's. They looked different, each wave looked different. And what's unique that some are saying about this fifth wave of feminism that could be ushering in is that women are saying, nope, these systems aren't working. So, these systems need to be dismantled and recreated. And we just need a whole new way to do things because women can't participate, can't just be a stand-in for a man and call it equal. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something, some beast waking up a little bit going, wait a minute, this participating in the same way as men have isn't working for us. Um, I'm hopeful. And this wave of feminism, this fifth wave of feminism is kind of moving away from political systems, from policy systems and starting coalition building in small segments and smaller segments that are away from sort of the centers of power, if you will. And they're mostly led by women of color, uh, LGBTQIA community, um, women who have not kind of landed in the dominant um, boxes, if you will. And it's an important move to pay attention to. And that leads me to this kind of idea of the second melody that's been there all along. There've always been these pockets on the margin that were interracial, intercultural, intergender, um, that were empowering moves to, 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 to demarginalize the margins, right? Mm-hmm. It's been there all along. It's just that now it's getting more attention. Um, and there's a, this poem by Annie Lightheart called The Second Music. And, and she says that that second melody has been there all along. And now we must set our ears to it as if to a heart. Maybe we should do a whole class on that. Mm. I like yeah. that idea. I've never heard that phrase before. Uh, when it comes to being applied to certainly a, a culture, our culture, it would be wonderful if we could amplify that melody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I have that poem copied into my notes for Sunday, so we'll see if I read it, if I can work it in somehow. Um, you know, I, I, I had a, um, a man whom I, I respect, colleague of mine, whom I respect, so much he is so smart and he is mm, maybe one of the most integrated people I currently know we had a conversation yesterday and he um you know I'm a seven on the Enneagram and I fall off into being a six and I go oh my god we're going to hell in a handbasket you know don't knock the six I have something really great to add about it keep going (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. And anyways, I was doing my rant about that. And he said, he said, you know, the fact is that, that we as a country are not ready 
for democracy. Mm, mm, and mm. Uh, I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, uh, the majority of people, particularly those in power and those who make the rules are simply, in spite of what they say, not willing to live with people who differ from them. And probably the entire system will have to collapse and something else put in its place before we come to our senses about that. Mm-hmm. And and he even said, and he doesn't he, uh, he doesn't listen to us. He doesn't come to ordinary life, so he doesn't know much much about what's going on in that regard. But he ironically said, you know, what we need is a new myth. Mm-hmm. You can't. Uh, even after the, doing three weeks for the Parsifal myth, the Grail myth, uh, you think it's too masculine. It is. It's a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kept asking me, what myth are you going to use? And I, I kept looking and I feel both a little bit, um, I don't know if the right word is ashamed, but a little bit like, oh, shoot, I don't have one. I haven't found one. I haven't landed on one. And I think where I got yesterday as I was writing uh, is that's okay. Cause we have to construct the new myth. This, this new myth is like, we've got to live it out. We don't have a model for what the healthy feminine and the healthy masculine looks like. Mm. And you said I dip into my six sometime and I get really paranoid. And I know I, I, every one of us has this rejection, instinctual rejection of our number. Oh no, I'm a six, <laughs> you know, but I read something and, and I want to frame it to you this way. I wonder if fear, this is my words, but it's coming from a quote I'm going to read is not a little bit intrinsically feminine that the fear or the anxiety is based on a long ignored intuition that something needs to change. And the fear is about not knowing how, not knowing what to do. So I read this quote and I'm just gonna read it here. It says, um, and this is from the heroine's journey. Change is frightening, but where there's fear, there's power. If we learn to feel our fear without letting it stop us, fear can become an ally, a sign to tell us that something we have encountered can be transformed. Often our true strength is not in the things that represent what is familiar, comfortable, or positive, but in our fear, and even in our resistance to change. That fear begins the initiation. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That, that makes a lot of sense, too. I was like, yes, it serves a purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, do you have observations, comments about what's going on in Iran? <clears throat> Ooh, man, um, that's what happens when people who have long been oppressed challenge the status quo. It's inevitable that disruption, that violence, that even death occurs. And it's such a sad part of our phases of change that someone literally has to die in order for 
something new to awaken. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Jesus story all over again. This woman who died for I removing did, her I hijab. Absolutely took the words out of my mouth about that. Yeah. And I keep thinking, well, eventually we're going to get to Edinger's um, the Christian archetype. But I mm-hmm. it, right now we're just laying around for the need for a different, a different a new myth. And maybe, oh, I might get condemned for heresy for saying this, but maybe the Jesus myth isn't working for us any longer. Mm, It's not, I don't think that's condemnation. I think Jesus might say the same thing. Don't cling Mm -hmm. to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's good. Good insight about that. Mm -hmm. And who did he say that to? Uh Uh-huh. A woman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to say that Sunday? I hadn't thought about it, but not bad. Not Not a bad thing to push me on. (laughs) I was going to let you ask the questions. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to spray people with a fire hose. I'd like to get through this kind of heroine's journey model. And I don't know. I, I really think it's going to feel like I just went, you know, Turned on the hose at full blast. Can I I looked at that? I I have to confess. I saw you made a contribution to the writing, and I haven't carefully read it. But can we introduce that model Sunday and then commit to doing another or two Sundays on it? Because you can't do that model in one week. Oh my gosh! I think I could get successfully through maybe three phases. And, help, and have people actually have some understanding of it. But if I go through the whole phase, it's going to feel like step one, step two, then step three, step four, step five. No, let's don't do that. I'm asking now if we can devote yeah. at least three weeks to it. Let's just, just because we did three weeks on Parsifal. Hmm. Let's let's do this. And 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 a guy shouldn't be doing the teaching. Well, I think that. Ideally, we have both. Yeah. Ideally, Ideally, we have both in the room saying, here's how I experience the masculine. And here's how I experience the feminine. You know, I I do think all of us are entrenched in in masculinity. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this is like new territory. It's really kind of brings up a lot of grief for me is, oh my gosh, imagining some deeply feminine way of being in the world is new territory for me too. I haven't been shown that Mm -hmm. because we get enculturated so quickly, you know? Um, If I were to ask you Sunday to give us, and it may be unfair to do, but if I were to ask you to give us a critique of the book she mm-hmm. would you be able to do that i would and i also tread carefully knowing how much robert means to you well look i i have read um everything robert's written i think uh-huh. and his everything he's written has resonated with me except she Interesting. Okay. I, I, and this I is the first time you've like read it. it? No, 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 no. I read it when uh, it was first published. Okay. okay. Uh, <clears throat> but I have not read it since then until 
this past week. Okay. And I just it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me. So one of the tests of a real religious path, I think, is that if it doesn't resonate with you, go follow it. But mm-hmm. I wanted to find in there what is and it just doesn't speak to me in the mm-hmm. way that even lying with a heavenly woman does. Yeah. Well, I definitely have a lot of notes in the margin that are like, really? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And by that. Well, by, by the way, when, I, when, I, when I've been reading the book, I've been thinking about you specifically wondering, okay, did Holly feel this when she and Josh got married? Did Holly feel this when they fell in love? And, you know, all of that. And I, I'd love to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do want you to ask those questions, actually. And I wonder if a a way for us to move into Sunday might better be write down the questions and I'll respond to them. Um, There were definitely there are parts that resonate with me. I think, okay, some of this has has weight, has truth. It's meaty. You know, if Aphrodite is the symbol of the old traditional and Psyche is the symbol of the new. um, Yeah, those two are those two clash with every generation. That that's true for you and your children. It's true for me and my parents. It's going to be true for me and my children. You know, I mean, this, mm-hmm. it's just part of it. Um, so it's not specifically feminine. I, where I really had trouble with Robert's book is this kind of like, he's, he's writing a very, a very expected model of what a woman is. A woman longs to be the soft place for the man to land when he comes home, assuming the woman is a home, homemaker. Right. So there's a lot of assumption in, in there that um, that ties into a very neat and tidy um, two parent mother father uh, household in which the the male is the breadwinner and the woman is not, you know. Mm-hmm. So the new myth that we need needs to say, you know, I, I know a lot of women who are incredibly invigorated by um, our academic study. Um, the ways in which our intellect can come alive, the ways in which we can contribute to the world and in and, and uniquely feminine ways. I'm not talking about playing the male or masculine game. Um, and, and that means we're, we're out of the home. You know, my generation is kind of the first generation to have probably more women working than not. Right. And um, I, I don't work full time. And I absolutely have no regrets about that. I am so glad that I get to pick up my kids after school. I'm, I'm really take delight that I get to be the primary caregiver for them still. And I have the luxury of being able to choose that because I have finances made available to be through inheritance that don't put a whole lot of pressure on me to have to be a primary breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And, you know, I've also found ways to have an identity outside of motherhood. I I found a way to to find aspects of myself that are still really alive outside of just being a mother and a caregiver and a homemaker. These feel Mm -hmm. really important to me, you know. So I think that's probably the biggest flaw of Robert's book is the assumption that um, women are meant to be homemakers. That's what I read into it. I think that's a yeah. That's a fair reading. Yeah. 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 It's almost like he has accepted the patriarchal structure of the universe. Yeah. As being as being a yeah. reality, yeah. a built-in reality, when in fact 
Um, it's a very tribal mentality that goes way back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there are aspects of it that I think we need to challenge and also say, you know, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say nothing in this is, is pure rubbish. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's just right. to say we have to acknowledge the limitations and even this book, the heroine's journey written by a white, well-educated woman of means. There's limitations in that too. Mm-hmm. It's not written by a, women of, a woman of color. And I'm noticing as I'm reading it, that um, when she gives stories about her own clients, she says, one woman, one 30-year-old woman, blah, 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 blah. It only identifies the uh, race of the person when they're not white. That's very common. But I just think like she's writing through a particular lens too, which is white is normal, but this black woman said, blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to make space that like, even my voice will have limitations because of the lens through which I have been raised in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is what this getting back to the fifth wave of feminism the hope is that it's a more intersectional, inclusive wave that honors voices of all colors, of all creeds, of all nationalities. That's the hope. Mm-hmm. We got a, a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Mm. Have you had a chance to read Sacred Journey yet? I haven't started it. You know, even just before we <laughs> got on this Zoom, I have three different documents opened on my <laughs> computer. I'm like, my brain is in so many directions. I, I can't, it will come as such a huge relief to feel really done with my dissertation. I keep going back and making other edits too, which I don't know if that's helpful, but I'll be so relieved to have, cause that is just constantly on my mind. Sure it is, yeah. So, in that book by Frederick Beekner, he tells a story about going to a monastery mm-hmm. to talk to a guy who was uh, had some special wisdom, and when he got there, it, the whole trip was a, an abysmal failure, <laughs> and uh, just it was just awful. You have to read the story, but in in when he got ready to leave, um. The guy who was the guest master of the monastery asked Beekner if he would like to make a confession. And Beekner didn't want to, mm. but he felt obligated to. And so he tells the story of kneeling down on the hard, cold stone floor of the monastery chapel and making this confession to this priest. And he said he confessed mostly petty things, sins of the flesh, that sort of thing. And then when he was done, the priest just put his hand on him and said, son, you've got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I feel when I look at, um, you know, part of me feels, <clears throat> even after teaching uh, ordinary life for 20 years, I feel part of me feels, oh boy, we have so much more to do. There's so much material. And then other parts of me look out at the world and I think, oh my goodness. We got so much to do yeah. to recover. Yeah. 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 
I mean, the hope is that live in a world of more equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, I found what my colleague said yesterday a little hopeful. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, after that, I read a Buddhist meditation um, about nothing lasts. Everything comes to an end. And um, I confess that some of my idealistic projections onto what I thought the United States was when I was 8, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years old sure. have just been punctured. And uh, maybe I'm moving into the position of saying maybe they ought to be. Mm. You know? For sure. I mean, that's another process of individuation and who to thunk. Mm-hmm. It could happen at 85, you know, I mean, a mm-hmm. process of individuating from another it's truth. It's ongoing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's not it's a one time thing as we know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think this, the beautiful piece of kind of holding this hero heroine's journey in tandem is that it's not a one-time thing. You know, just to use the example of your son at age six or seven, putting on the cape, we got to put on that cape every day of our lives, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like try to be access that hero or heroine within. Um, You know, what you, what you said about anxiety, I hope we can, we can come back and talk to that, talk about that. Maybe even, maybe even on Sunday, because, you know, Jim Hollis in his book on living the, uh examine life says that every day we wake up with two vultures on the foot of our bed i think he calls them vultures Mm. one of them is lethargy and the other is anxiety Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. have to pick Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so always pick anxiety yeah it's an activating force at the very least it's an activating force and it gets you out of bed to get you moving and doing something rather than just curling up and binge with been yeah. watching Netflix. And we have to be wise enough to know when to listen to lethargy. We need rest. We need to, to restore our souls or that, mm-hmm. you know, or we're going to get burnt out. That's the wisdom of the day seven, right? Having a seventh day is the Shabbat, the rest, the mm-hmm. restore, you know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. I mean, it's, it is true. It's like, there's so much material out there to cover in life (laughs) and we won't complete it in our lifetime, which is why lifetimes keep going on. So Uh, one one of the images in Robert's book that did speak to me and I hope, and you correct me, I'm on account on you to call me out on this if it's sexist. That, that spoke to me was a, he saw this Jewish man who was complaining about his home life and that things were going well and this and that and Robert asked him if they practice Shabbat <clears throat> and the guy said oh we used to but we don't anymore and mm-hmm. Robert said I suggest that you get your wife to do that and mm-hmm. it, you know in the Jewish in the Jewish home it is the woman the wife who introduces the Shabbat meal with the lighting of candles and the blessing that goes it's not the man who does mm-hmm. that Mm-hmm. And that introduced the kind of feminine energy back into this man's life and into their home that was mm-hmm. missing and necessary. Mm-hmm. We need that blessing. Yeah. No, I don't think that's sexist. As long as the roles are equally valued, right? 
if, if what I bring, I, I do most of the cooking in my family, you do most of it in your family, right? There's a, I do all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Except for eggs and bacon <laughs> on Tuesdays. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, right. um you know, that the, the, the goddess of the hearth keeps the eternal flame going, mm-hmm. right? There is something, and this actually makes me kind of feel a little weepy and a little bit um, grateful for my femininity. There is something incredibly earthy about the feminine that is about keeping that eternal flame going, about creating warmth, um, creating creativity in general is very feminine. Something new from nothing, something new from something old. Both of us can embody that, but that it is explicitly feminine makes me feel proud. And it doesn't mean, I think what we've done so successfully in this culture is say, well, all of those things are less than. We've so successfully said the feminine is less than that even I am programmed to go, ooh, that's not as important as bringing home the bacon, (laughs) right? And that's such a diminishment of the importance of the warmth of the hearth, right? Well, I I think every living human needs the feminine, and I I label these feminine energies of sustenance, Mm -hmm. of soothing, Mm -hmm. um, and of security. Those are feminine energies that... um, I, th- I think a man can offer, uh, and the masculine energy offers protection, but the feminine energy offers security. And those are two very different things to me. Yeah. And maybe we should talk about that as well. There is nothing that transforms. You're a mommy, you know, when your little boys were hurt, a mother's kiss solves everything. Mm-hmm. Dad's and, doesn't. And well, and moms can do it wrong sometimes. Yeah. Our anxiety can res- fuel a response that's not helpful. Someone we can learn to just say, where does it hurt? Show me where it hurts. Well, this, uh, I've got to go, but this podcast yeah. has demonstrated for me one very, very important thing. What's that? We've just scratched the surface. Yep. You see my dog in the background? Yeah. Don't we want to just be like that? My dog is lying with her feet up against the wall. <laughs> okay. I gotta go. All right. Have a great day. Lo- love you. Bye. You too. Bye.